supposed to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Valentine from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey, guys. And Oscarologist and radio commentator Louise Easton. Louise, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, it's my pleasure. I'm here to address the gender diversity issue of Film Fight Club, much like the Oscars itself. <laughs> Which we're getting straight into, because yeah. it is the big story of the week. <laughs> yeah. Oscars. I, I, I think, yeah, Oscars handled it not necessarily... Who are we to criticise, but Oscars haven't handled it necessarily well. Uh, no. No, I think that would be an understatement. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think they handled it particularly well. Um, in the ceremony either, for that matter. Having said that, the the great news of the night was, of course, Parasite's win for Best Film and Best Director. It is. Um, just to note, uh, Brutney will be joining us in a little bit, and later in the program we were talking about Emma, the new film of the general adaptation, which is in cinemas tomorrow, and later on the podcast we'll be talking Uncut Gems, What Did Jack Do, and The True History of the Killer Gang, all of which are streaming on different notes. So we're on there for like two hours on stand. Yep. But first, yes, uh, the big news of the day is an unexpected win for in quite a few categories. Yeah, um, well, yeah, just for Parasite, really. Um, I think it would have been the most boring Oscar ceremony in living memory had it not been for that upset. Uh, it, I, it didn't really go down very well. People are calling it an upset, but the day before, or a couple of days before the Oscars, someone said, what's going to win? And I said, Parasite. Like, I'm, and I don't think I'm some genius predictor. Like, I feel like you could see the momentum was there well gold derby which is sort of yeah. the, the forefront on these things predicted 1917 but to some extent you're right chris um like if you look at the last best picture winners of the last few years it's always been the number two like it's yeah. never been you know it's never going to be something like little women or or ford versus ferrari it's always going to be one of those two yeah and it tends to go to the underdog really yeah. i felt I felt the momentum too, but I honestly thought till the end that 1917 would do it. But as soon as I saw no best, no acting nods, not in writing, non directing, just cinematography, okay, Paris has the momentum here, it's going to take it. And as soon as Jane Fonda came out, as soon as she looked at the envelope and had the ticket, surprised. Yeah, knew. but for me, it wasn't until that directing win for um, Bong, who was really expected, uh, like, I think that was an even closer race, the best director, than it was. Best picture, probably. I think everyone saw Sam Mendes winning. He'd won all the awards up until then. And 1917 is such a look at me. I'm a director. <laughs> movie. Exactly. I'm glad Deacons did well. There mm. are films I think deserve cinematography over, including The Lighthouse. I don't. But I don't. I don't think 1917 should even have been nominated. For I don't cinematography. think cinematography. No, Parasite had better cinematography. Parasite did have better cinematography, and it wasn't nominated. It also had. I, I think Deacons is a, is a living legend. I mean, okay. Um, I know you're not the biggest fan of 1917, that's but true. if you had any kind of love for it whatsoever, that that love had to go for the cinematography. The, the thing about the cinematography is really, d- does it? When we talk about 1917, is it really? best cinematography it's more something else that people are flipping out on which is kind of like the choreography combined with the editing in order to mask those cuts and the visual effects i agree i think you know one of the biggest snubs was of course editing for 1917 which was great yeah but uh, i think i think honestly 1917 should have been in for editing yeah but um but i'm very fine with how editing i think parasite should have won editing but what did win best editing in the end and as well as best sound editing moreover more importantly is ford v ferrari Mm. the final sequence the racing sequences in the final 
final act was spectacularly well put together. I'm not just talking about the racing sequences. I mean the jumping between the Christian Bale character and Shelby, played by Matt Damon. Um, there were completely different sides. There were no communication. There were different parts of the track, but you felt the synergy between them much better than you have seen replicated in other racing films. So I appreciated that. I don't. I, not, I wasn't a fan of Ford v Ferrari. It should have been nominated in the, for Best Picture, but I liked that it got the editing wins. The, the thing about um, the 1917 cinematography is like, what I was saying before, but Deacons is amazing, right? Um, I think there's a few scenes that seem designed to show off, look at what Deacons can do. Like when the flare goes up in the air, it's a, it's a cinematography tech demo. Well, but, all those night scenes. <laughs> but for the most That's part... That's what he's supposed to That's what he's... Um, yeah. For the most part, doesn't the cinematography in 1917 look kind of flat? Understandably so, because there's a constantly moving camera, so there's not really much uh, uh, room to but all those hide focus the tools. Pulls. Yeah, <laughs> I, and, and some of them were spectacular. Yeah, I just feel like there are more impressive-looking films. I, I think 1917 couldn't have had mind-blowing, take your breath away cinematography just because of the way it was made. Yeah, I think we have to look at uh, cinematography as a feat, as a technical feat rather than an endurance feat. I appreciate that. Uh, from the perspective, Deacons did better than many other categories. Certainly, we've seen it replicated, and even better in the likes of Victoria and other films. Mm. I would still give it to Parasite just for the quality of Parasite wasn't some. even nominated. It was strange yeah. because that, yeah. that's actually some really beautiful lighting. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, it did make history yesterday. Uh, best international feature and best film. The first Korean language film to win on Oscar ever. The first non-English language film to win Best Picture, the Best Director nod for Director Bong, and Best Screenplay. Yeah, so it's a all huge of which first for a foreign language film, which is great. Yeah, it's strange because for years the Oscars have actually been biased against Asian films. Oh, absolutely. There was, there, yeah, there was the big breakthrough for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but outside of that, um, Asian films can't win Best for, Best Foreign Language or now International Film, yeah, historically. They've got nominations, but that's Nev- pretty much it. Yeah, never wins. So t- for this to actually go all the way... Uh, to best picture really is historic it shows the times are changing i guess yeah it was a nice moment i think my favorite was actually when he won best director there was a nice uh, you saw martin scorsese cheering and todd phillips just kind of sitting there just you know trying to look gracious i think todd phillips knew he was never going to win i honestly thought he thought he would win sam mendes thought he was going to win best director did you see his face when they announced bong (laughs) absolutely (laughs) everyone thought it was going to be sam mendes (laughs) yeah um yeah so So i think yeah that was that was fun. It was it was funny as well when Bong did his acceptance speech and he sort of goes, oh, and Martin Scorsese, you know, and he, Martin Scorsese gets a standing ovation, um, which is <laughs> really awesome to see. But then he sort of goes, oh, yeah, and you other directors are also really impressive and I want to split the yeah. Oscar five ways, not yeah. just one. Well, Tarantino has been yeah. a supporter of his films for a long time, as mm. he says. Yeah, that's true. And Scorsese is everyone's idol if you're if you're. Yeah. A, someone who wants to be a director i suppose but yeah todd phillips who was the other nom- nominee uh, it was tarantino todd phillips uh bong, bong, bong scorsese and and uh it wasn't we don't know oh, it, we can't it, even it remember we can't been, even it should have been, been going we can't even remember uh, the fifth nominee um, uh, irishman irishman no we said irishman scorsese. no we've said scorsese scorsese bong tarantino Mendes. todd phillips Mendes. Right, Mendez. Yeah. Now, of course, I've forgotten Mendez. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, like compared to those other names of Tarantino and Scorsese, yeah. Mendez, like who, who's a massive cinephile, is like I just love Sam Mendez. Yeah, I know. You I know? agree. And I'm, I'm sorry, but it was interesting. Is a, is an underappreciated masterpiece. I know. I'm not saying that Mendez is a bad director. 
Um, I haven't seen it in long enough to say whether or not Road to Perdition is a masterpiece, but it's my favorite of his films. Um, but no, I, I like a lot of his films. I'm just saying but that like he doesn't have that kind of legendary aura around him. It was interesting. That, like, even Tarantino start, sort of has now. It's interesting though that when we talk about things changing, this Martin Scorsese's film, The Irishman, was the only thing, the only Best Picture nominee to walk away with no awards whatsoever. All eight of the other nine. But he, he's had. It, I mean, I don't think it something. should be upon whether someone has won before or, or how many times they've won. But, but, it but there's a feeling people. that I agree. It does. But there's a. There, I think the reason is there's a feeling that he's had his dues and he's won so many times before. I don't think it's he a reason. Won for, once. He hasn't I'm, had the his departed. Dues. I, he's like worst film. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. One of his worst. Films. I'm this is with much you. Better than it should not. Much it should better. never be based on how many times. And obviously, Deacon's won the past couple of times for uh, Blade Runner and now. 1917. I'm turning to one of the other categories. My most frustrating was Best Adapted Screenplay. It went to Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit. It should have gone to Greta Goig for Little Women. I agree. Far superior. I mean, I disagree. So this is a film fight club. So I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll argue for the for the man who won. Um, but uh, personally, I, I thought Jojo Rabbit, what was best about it was the screenplay in many ways. I thought, um, I know you guys aren't the biggest fans of it, but I did like it. I found it a touching film. Those moments of surprise that were in it... Um, you know, with, with the shoes and, and such, I thought were really touching moments. And I liked <laughs> Taika Waititi's speech. Oh, I thought his speech was fantastic. Which is great. Um, when he his press conference afterwards was the most hilarious, where he spends half it ranting about Apple keyboards versus PC keyboards. When he, in, in yeah. his Oscar speech, when he spoke about the, um, about his mother, um, there was some great line in there about like, you know, thank you for um, being my mother and for many other things too. And no one laughed. And I, ju- I thought that was really funny, just the way he said it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I loved his speech. Lots of nice wry humor, and I liked his call out to indigenous storytellers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I can't be angry about Waititi winning. I do like Waititi. I just don't like Jojo Rabbit that much. For yeah. me, it was more that Gerwig and Veldt and Source Material for Little Women, much more than I've seen other adaptations. I haven't read Jojo Rabbit. I appreciate that Caging he diverted. Skies. Yeah. Oh, so the, yes, we've heard it very heavily from the Source Material, which he acknowledged in the press conference subsequently. However, with Little Women, I've read the books, I've seen the adaptations. Suddenly I felt this is something dramatically new, very distinct from something like Emma, which we'll talk about later in yeah, the show. Yeah, I was going to make that comparison as well. Um, Little Women, I think, added something to this source material and, I agree. and justified I, itself. I agree. I, I also loved... I would have been very happy to see Little Women win as well. Right. But I'm, I'm still okay with with, uh, with Jojo Rabbit winning. Fair. <laughs> A lot of American yes, audiences... Yes, welcome Varot Nehru, freelance, freelance critic. Yay. Hello. Yeah, well, it's a great time to be talking about Little Women. Uh, well, <laughs> no, just the movie, not just generally. But, uh, you know... Uh, but, a lot of American audiences, from what I've heard from film Twitter, were just very confused about the timeline. It was th- as in of stupid th- of of the wait of Little Women. Uh, of Little Women, yeah, they were oh, like, no, "Oh, this is unnecessarily complicated." It's I think not. it kind of is. You just need to, if, and it is initially. Then you're like, "Oh, it's color coded." Maybe okay, we should fine. let the little and the woman hairstyles, on the, the costuming speak. things are different. But it's not. It's uh, it's subtle yet not subtle enough that it works. Even with, if, if you have, I think without the color coding, you'd be thrown. I, like I, I mean, you as in the general. I don't know about Glenn Falkenstein specifically, <laughs> but I, 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 I appreciate yeah. that did help. I, 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 I think, think you're enough probably to right, but I think that that worked well for me. And personally, I liked it because it felt fresh. Like it was different from the other. There's been I think eight. Yeah, it was. Women I, movies it, made. I think it was enough in the nuance of the performances that it signaled several years apart. Hmm. Give it a reason for for existing. Like yeah. why remake it again for a month time? I was just not like pretty crash hot for this category. I think it was just pretty mad to be honest. That I mean, the screenplay. Yeah, adapted screenplay was just one of the weaker ones, unfortunately. Like, I just couldn't get behind any of the... Like, you know, it wasn't something... 
Original screenplay was more interesting. Oh I think. yeah. I Though mean, I honestly, that was the Irishman adapted. Yeah, yeah, yeah adapted. Yeah. I yeah. would have given it to that. Yeah, I yeah. Had such I, a good I, script. I had I had put that down in my wish list uh, before. Yeah, but um, I, Irishman or Little Women? I think I, honestly between those two. Mm. I'm turning to the acting categories, the non-surprises of the night. I think it went as exactly oh, as yeah. we'd all ho- uh, thought. I think Driver was robbed most of all. Uh, we were, Me however, too. treated to Joaquin Phoenix's very long speech on a number of matters ancillary to kind of, look, acting in Hollywood. It's an entertaining speech. Uh, it was long-winded. Are we talking about Joaquin Phoenix's yeah, speech? Oh. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think it was very good at all. I, d- I don't either. I say entertaining because it's always like, okay, this is different and unusual, and I'm kind of b- confused. Because everyone wants to hear an Oscar speech about artificial insemination of cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There's always one every year. But there wasn't just one. But Renee Zellweger also gave a pretty bad speech. It was also very wafty and didn't really They were both long-winded. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they were locks. They won every award. We live in a society. Plan your speech. The thing about Joaquin is The Renee Zellweger speech was actually focused on uh, Judy Garland's legacy, the film itself, what the film told. She could have said that a lot tighter. She didn't. But it wasn't the tan that Joaquin look, Phoenix look, went b- on. B- look, both of them made Are great actors points. but terrible writers. Well, no, because Joaquin Phoenix gave a really good BAFTA speech. Renee Zellweger gave a pretty good Golden Globe speech. These people can give good speeches. Maybe they just, they just ran the out of material. And that happens <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Because you know, after you won... you know, And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, they won every single award. Oscar so season kind of thing, you know, where you kind of get used to winning and you're like oh okay you know, I have to give another speech now, now I need to make a speech about something that matters look I'm never one to tell celebrities don't get political keep your mouth shut just you know shut up and entertain um, but it wasn't dance. even that political I'm, to be I'm not yeah, I'm not yeah. that person well, but it still felt um, George like, Clooney like too much. much. I'm like, very he, happy with them to get getting political. Me um, too. Because both of them were in their and Golden I Globe Phoenix's and speech. Golden yeah. Globe speech to that effect. He, he got up and BAFTA. It, it, honestly, oh no, the Golden Globes too. We were talking specifically about Australia. It was so Jordan kind of Phoenix? yes. Oh, okay. Working, yeah, his speech was so kind of wafty and rambly from topic to topic that it just felt unfocused and self indulgent to me. Yeah. Um, but I could by the end, I believe that he was. I think. Honestly, he just looked up there. He looked like he was very fragile for whatever yeah. reason at oh, this stage. Oh, I agree. He was t- very moved because I, I think he was thinking of River, his brother. He clearly was at and the end. And he was, was choking. Was he was nice, struggling uh, to hold it there. together at the end. But I think he tried to make 12 points and should have just focused on one. Yeah. Two at the most. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> just didn't joke seem, in the movie. Yeah. Well, De- debating yeah. 101 by he, Louis. He just didn't <laughs> seem like he was like focused yeah. and together. He seemed like he was in a bit of a fragile messy state mentally yeah yeah Yeah, that's probably true but i don't begrudge his win or his speech at the end of the day no Um, i do well i I do do. actually i'm sorry 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 adam driver should have won after that I would, uh, yeah, Adam I do begrudge Driver his did win. not give a better performance. I love Joaquin Phoenix as an actor, right? He should have won if you were never really here doing a similar the master, the master, the master, the definitely master, the master. Yeah. He's he, Philip Seymour Hoffman, similar uh, performance in the master as well, right? Yeah. A, you know, an unhinged guy who goes into weird laughing fits and violent spasms. Um, but yes, he, guys, the master is a movie. I'm with you, uh, Glenn. Actually, Adam Driver and Antonio Banderas would have been better wins. Would have been wins. No, I think Scarlett Johansson was better in Marriage Story than Adam Driver was. I thought they I, were both great. I thought they were both very I good. I, it's hard to. I don't think that the one was a better performer. I think that Adam Driver had the media material and got to work with much better. He had the more emphatic. Re- uh, yes, Scarlett Johansson had very emotional scenes, but he had the really emotional-driven powerhouse scenes that Baumbach wanted to shove through to the Academy. How great is it that Laura Dunn finally has an Oscar? 
It's great. And she, she, she gave the most thankless role story. ever, though. She sleepwalked. She, she was sleepwalked through that one. That I, was, thought, uh, I thought look, she was great I, in Marriage I, Story. I, and she was I, better in Marriage Story than in Little Women. I kind of... Well, yes, do. I agree with that. Um, I thought her role Park. in Marriage... <laughs> I thought her role in Marriage Story was quite good, but I agree it wasn't the best of the supporting actor nominees. Yeah. Actress nominees. I mean, Scarlett Johansson but was yet, better But yeah, she did sleepwalk, but she didn't, she didn't have to... She had to because everyone wanted to reward her for being just... Hollywood starling, and for missing out twice, <laughs> and and that she's having a really great resurgence in her career at the moment. Absolutely, I'm not a big fan of like people are owed, so they should now give them an Oscar for like a shitty performance. But yeah, but it's not, it's, a not a shitty performance. Performance. it's not a shitty performance; it's a good performance. Exceptional. Of the three lawyers, thought, she really stood she out great. in the film. She was like, All, and, and yeah, she did. She was, and think, and it, remember these sequences where we talked about on the phone several more, where it seems like she's the bad person. She's actually in a very Empathetic, very caring role, hmm. and it takes a form of Laura Dern's caliber to get that across, and she does very well. When you watch that Agreed. scene, did you lose yourself in the moment? I, I lost myself never in a lot of it, moments. Never let it go. Yeah. Oh, oh dear! The, we turn to the second worst. <laughs> Why is of the everyone night. so upset about Eminem being there? Why? Because it made no okay, sense. Well, first of all, because Eminem's yeah. not that great. And why? I mean, I'm not going to argue also, on that. Also, because in an, a year Except when everyone's songs, going on about three. Oscars so white, why pick the only white rapper to do a performance this, that has nothing to do with any of the films? What about Adam Merkin this body? They probably thought Eminem <laughs> is having a... Um, yeah. A, Actually, I would have loved that. I would have loved really Body feel. to win Best Picture, that but we don't amazing. live in that universe. <laughs> I wish we did, but yes, at least... Body is way better than Green Book. Oh, yeah, dude. Absolutely. Body, oh, body was better than most of the Best Picture nominees this year. Or at least, like, a few at least no, a few of them. Year, last, last year. year. Yeah, it was last year. It's better than Shape of Water. seven of the Best Picture nominees this year. Yeah, that's probably right. Bodied. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I would. I, my highest rate of the Parasite and Marriage Story, but after that, I think Bodied was marginally better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'll say I, it. I, for me, I don't think it's better than. 1917, no. Uh. Let's not get it. This let's will take a while let's thinking. Let's, let's not get, get into it. it. Um, but it's better than top a bunch half. of them. Top it's better than a bunch top of half. them. Yes. <laughs> um, the best Go watch Buddy the Game, guys. Uh, hot take. But the best musical performance tonight was obviously Elton John, which was, who was great to see. And he won. He actually performed really well. And he, he, won. Did, he, did he, finally, he and Bertie finally got an Oscar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. He, sings, yeah. he sings really well. Because again, another thing that was just locked up from the beginning. It was boring. We all knew it was going to come. The Oscars was mostly boring. And the best performance of the night was Cynthia the stand-up, I thought. Okay, I'm From gonna, the film Harriet. I'm, I'm going to be totally honest here. I tuned in late yeah, to the Oscars because it's the Oscars and I just wanted to see You should actually watch numbers. that performance. Okay, I, I watched most and of it, but I missed the part where Eminem performs, which is why I don't oh, understand. Well, I was just like, I just heard Eminem was there and, and everyone's angry about it. And I thought, had well, you, did they do like a retrospective no. of past well, winners or something? Like, no. no, no, no well, no, no, what no. they did was they had Lin-Manuel Miranda, who would have been a much better performer to have on the show, introduce... How important songs are in films. There's a montage of different songs in films, and then Eminem comes out and performs "Lose Yourself." The song he won made, 18 years ago, which made no sense. It, it just no randomly well, is Eminem. Well, That's yeah. funny. Because like, yes. <laughs> he never performed 18 years ago. Suddenly, now it's your time. Like if it was what? a mashup, uh, it would have kind of worked. Did like they, if it was a mashup of different. Do like, you remember the, the re- he didn't perform because it was like Prince? 
Prince Philip doesn't want him there or something like that. Or I, pr- some prince. Some, I can't remember. Something strange. It was seriously that. It was someone's in the audience who's like, I won't be in the same room as that foul-mouthed <laughs> Eminem. It's not yeah. happening that Oscar went Eminem, no. Yeah, yeah it was and one then of, they gave it to him. Yeah, I, I, I did see the performance in the end. Uh, look, the Oscars... The, the other performance I thought was really good was the opening by Janelle Monet. It's had mixed reviews. What a reviews. performer. Yeah, She's it's amazing. had mixed reviews, but I, I loved She's it. Great. I thought it was great. She, frankly, should have been hosting the Oscars. Sing her heart out, yeah. Host, sing her heart out while dancing like that. Yeah. What an amazing performer. It was incredible. And, you know, she managed to get, you know, pretty much the most curmudge- like grumpiest people in the world to actually get up and sing along and dance a little bit. So, yeah. Guys, yeah, think about this. Eminem has won an Oscar and Glenn Close has not. But Bong has won an Oscar and that makes me happy. No, but <laughs> do you think Eminem was owed? No. <laughs> no, I don't. Not for no. Lose Yourself. Not at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 turning to the non-hosts, that was kind of frustrating. I love, it was a bit of quite funny when jo- when George Mackay threw shade at the fact that George Mackay had to, th- to yeah. uh, pivot to introduce Olivia someone Coleman else. to introduce someone else who introduced the award. It was just a weird... Uh, instead of just having setup. people announcing the, the person who'll come out who'll announce the award, they should just have the person come out and say, I'm here to announce best... Yeah. Best yeah, and it would, or and, and if they're so desperate to cut down the running time, just, just do like, that. I'm here announcing exactly. myself. You know what I'm not a fan of? How they didn't show the clips of the Governor's Award. Lifetime achievement is meaning less and less. First, they cut lifetime achievement awards from the ceremony, so now they give out three awards. And you, in previous years, they've shown clips at the separate ceremony where those awards are given out. This year, they just announced That's true, yeah. these people won an award. And, like, it's actually a nice moment to see someone get up and win Lifetime Achievement. I don't like how they're depriving us of that unless you seek it out on YouTube. Yeah. 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 No, I think you're right. And to cut that and add these random hosts, like, introducers of introducers. Yeah. That would make way more sense. If if you saw the ceremony, you might be, you know, mistaken to think that Scorsese won a Lifetime Award because... When everyone Bond mentioned it, it, yeah, everyone kind of stood up well, and was like, oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. you're thinking this might not ever happen again, that yeah. Scorsese has this big Oscar movie. I mean, it might, yeah, but it might. He probably will, else. but oh, yeah, it he's, might he's, not. He's, he's you know? Marty now, actually. So, yeah, it's actually we're on first name basis. Like, we, we go way back. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, nice. uh, I think final point on the Oscars, the worst moment of the night for me, and it's a, I think, more classless moment than people are giving it. Uh, discredit for the moment where James Corden and the Rebel Wilson came out on stage dressed as the cats. I thought that was fine. No, I, I wasn't. I wasn't okay with it. And I guess it's funny to say, as cats, they were presenting visual effects. As being in the movie Cats, we understand the importance of good visual effects. And a lot of the visual effects advocacy groups have come out a, a very strong criticism of this instance because it's true. Yes, there were problems with the visual effects, but, but overwhelmingly, that wasn't the issue with Cats. And it's scapegoating the real problem, which was a lot of bad performances, including theirs, and bad conception and design, which was overly due not to the visual effects artists, but Tom Hooper and the people who had the idea of bringing this terrible musical type. And that's more over that. It was just a bad story and a bad no, no, musical. You're missing the point. The people who had to receive an Oscar had to receive the Oscar with these two dressed as cats. <laughs> that is embarrassing. No, it's awesome. No, I, 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 would be, I, would, I would not be want to be up on stage I and have that, that. I, I would once not, in my lifetime. I would not want to be a visual that. effects artist getting an award after that introduction. Yeah. I would because, like, I, I mean, look, I personally felt, felt it was just sort of self-referential and, you yeah, know, realizing... you're not winning an Oscar yet. We you're never going to win an Oscar. No, whoa, no, whoa. Never say never, never it, it, say it, never. it wasn't saying that they were, they're never going to... I, I don't think it was right about it themselves. They were perfectly fine the visual effects of it. it was you might write an adapted screenplay. Yeah, you never know. 
Not the original oh, one. Oscar. Oscar. No, no, no. He was saying the cats. I'm saying James oh. Corden. Oh. James Corden will never win an Oscar. Yeah. No, we're, oh, okay. all four of us are winning Oscars. Don't you worry. We're going to produce something. Look, here's, great. here's a thought. <laughs> the Writers Guild have to nominate someone to get nominated for the screenplay. And James Corden's a guy who's gone out in, 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 uh, in Writers Guild of America meetings to say that writers should be paid less to keep the budget down on his show. James Corden is never going to be nominated for an Oscar. Scroll out that adapted oh, screenplay so he nomination. Makes terrible sketches and terrible <laughs> movies. Yes, but, cats. but also you know. he doesn't even sing that well. I don't know what the point of him. No one does. No, no one does. does. So <laughs> the, the one point, last point I wanted to make was um, shout out to Fight Club with Sigourney Weaver and Brie Larson and Gad Godot Can saying I? they were going to start. Fight club. That was probably the funniest joke of the night. But, I, but that, that whole segment, that whole segment. I'm pretty sure she was talking about our radio shows. Yeah, uh, yeah. Radio of course, shows. of course she was. <laughs> Everyone in Hollywood is a big, big fan and regular listener. But actually, yeah, I thought totally. that moment was so stupid. It's like, okay, we're we're uh, being criticized. Not not the Fight Club, but specifically. All right, the Oscars are being criticized because no women were nominated for Best Director. Um, I would say the only person who really had a shot in terms of making an Oscar-y movie that got off the ground was Greta Gerwig, and she did better than her work for Lady Bird. So, yeah, she should have been nominated. Um, but to then, it's like the overcompensation by coming out and saying all women are superheroes. Like, superheroes who don't get nominated for Oscars. Yeah, like, I mean, and also, what does that even mean? Like, no, not all women are superheroes, you know? I mean, like, I agree that... <laughs> it's that, just a dumb platitude. That, that line was a bit on the nose, but... You know, it's, it's like we're feminists. Well, we no, but just it was, didn't nominate any women for this director. Women who have acted in roles where they're superheroes. No, but she they came out and said, "Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. all women are superheroes." Fight, yeah, but right. also just generally, I mean, yeah. the the other Oscar for Joker did go to a woman, and so that was the best speech of the night, aside yeah. from a I director bomb speech. I would say she was it was it was yeah. lovely and. Um, Kind and generous. Which speech is this, sorry? Or best original score for Joker. I did oh, yeah, Joker. yeah, yeah. And, and she did great work. Arguably the best thing about the film is her music. I agree. Yeah. So that is our Oscars coverage. We're happier with it this year than we are in other years. No, actually, I'm just genuinely Now surprised. I will drink till morning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but then <laughs> we'll be drinking till morning. But, but this means next year it's going to be all a shit fest again. Probably. Look, I, I am happy that Parasite won, but I'm not overjoyed. I just can't care that much about the Oscars anymore. I thought, oh, this is kind of historic. And like, it's a, really, a good movie, one of the best of the year. Easily, come on, one. That's cool. So, like, I've reached the point where it, it just doesn't matter yeah, to my I, life I'm anymore. Glad I tuned in at like very late in the piece. Does that I make think, sense? I Elton think John. it affects your life not at all. I don't think it ever has. Oh no, no, no! But in terms of like getting some satisfaction and no, caring about the Oscars, I love it. I love the Oscars. I always I care I, so I, much. And I can say this because Louise and I have watched Oscar <laughs> ceremonies. We had a party at our house to watch the Oscar ceremony yeah. when Hurt Locker won. That's yeah. how long we've been watching the Oscars. Yeah. Oh, I've been yeah. Oh, well, even I've been watching than it before. But, but yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but together, together. together. Yeah, that was yeah. a terrible yeah. film. But I feel like no, Glenn no, has to know what Oscars. I'm talking about. You oh, said last year you were like I didn't even watch. This year you tuned in really late. Two hours late. There's a genuine. I've just reached a point of like yeah, whatever. It's like oh, Parasite won. That's cool. I wonder how that'll affect the, this, you know, in the future. It won't. Tech. It's not going to happen again. It might, but I well, hope it's a time. But the things we do, Parasite is like a Oscars. rare crossover. The, the movie. voters are know. changing. We'll the base of the academy has changed. We know this. It may be reflecting in future voting, voting choices. We hope. No, they were just guilty. But the thing that is, they gave it to Green Book. Parasite is the only movie, foreign language well, film, that was nominated of a field of ten, and none, none of the actors were nominated. It, I don't think this is going to happen again soon. I mean, look, 
Uh, yeah, okay. But the reason none of the actors... Uh, yeah, okay. So, look, there's a big problem, which is they get the... So, how nominations get chosen is they're given a blank piece of paper and you're told to write in the names of who you thought was best that year. And nobody can remember, if you're an American person, the names of all those Korean actors in that film. Yeah. And it was the same, I think, with Lulu Wang and The Farewell. It's why a lot of foreign Lulu films... Lulu Wang is like... Then Barry Jenkins are a power couple. Everyone yeah, knows that. What are you talking about? The thing about the yeah, but they weren't nominated this year. And the no, thing but about I'm saying the actors in in her film. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of people said not only should the farewell have been nominated for director and so best Aquafina. picture, but Aquafina. Everyone Aquafina. knows Aquafina. Aquafina. Yeah, but the not enough to to put a name on a blank piece of paper when you can only name five people. I can, I think I, I can fa- forget Emma Stone, in but general, I can't forget Aquafina. No, but I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about. White people. I think white in people. general, the yeah, Oscars, people, people are saying like Farewell was snubbed. I never thought it really had a chance. The thing is, the Oscars don't I like did. quiet movies. No. Lady Bird was basic. able to get in because Greta Gerwig was marriage story. Marriage story is a quiet film. Because yet it like, wasn't able always. to get in for Best Director because compared no. to the Best Director nominees, it wasn't loud enough. Yeah, okay. Farewell is quite restrained. That's true, but it there's usually a couple of quiet films that get Best Picture nominations. Yes. Always. Every and I, w- yeah. I, w- I would argue but the Marriage Farewell Story is very quiet yeah. compared to what normally gets in, I would say. No, I would say there's always at least a quiet film. As quiet as The Farewell? I think like, The Farewell is like I think indie, you're thinking of indie a quiet place. Um, of. How about the winner, Moonlight, not so long ago, which was a very quiet film. Moonlight was pretty loud. Was Moonlight had like... And that was in a year where like the Oscars wanted to show that we cared and about and like social justice guy's head getting slammed with a, with and a chair. And there were a lot of reflecting scenes and it's shots true. of beaches and skies. and Yeah, but I think it had some kind of like impact behind it. But anyway. Well, yeah, but I think The Farewell did too. That's neither here nor there. So, time for farewell. <laughs> yeah, time for a farewell because we're almost out of time. We're going to continue on the podcast with our discussion of Emma, which is in cinemas tomorrow. So you can tune in on iTunes and Uncut and Gems, which is going to be the best part of the oh, show. Yeah. Absolutely. Tune into the which Uncut another, version of our podcast. Another film snubbed at the Oscars. Adam Sandler for Best Actor. No. We're also covering. Let's fight about it. Yeah. We will be, as we do tune in, we're also covering True History of the Kelly Gang and What Did Jack Do, the new shot from David Lynch. And please tune in next week because we're going to be chatting with Felix Hubble from Static Vision, who is running the Hyperlinks Festival next weekend from the 19th to the 21st at uh, Pink Flamingo Cinemas over in America. We'll be there throughout the weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we, so this has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Varat Nehru. I'd like to thank Louise Eason for joining us and Louise to continue joining us into the podcast talking all things movies. Thanks for having me, guys. So stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin in a few minutes. Uh, this is and yeah, have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Enjoy the recaps of the Oscars if you're watching. And good night. Long live Bong. And we're back on Film Fight Club. Glenn Falcon, Chris Evans, Bratney Rue, and Louise Eason. We're starting with Emma going into what did Jack do? The true history of the Kelly Gang, and then uh, our favorite of the of the day, possibly of the year so far, Uncut Gems. Without yeah. a doubt, favorite of the year so far for me. For me, it's that and Little Women. Okay. Um, my, they were my two favourites. But we are talking about Emma, period. Emma dot. I'm not sure because there is a dot in the title. We're talking about Emma. Full stop. F- Emma full stop. New sentence. Emma, <laughs> Emma, new sentence. It is the new adaptation of the classic Austen novel starring Anya Taylor-Joy as Emma. It has Bill Nye, Josh O'Connor, who plays Prince Charles in The Crown, Gemma Whelan, who plays Yara on Game of Thrones, and a number of others. It is the classic story which you have seen adapted any number of times, whether it be Clueless or else, about a young woman who spurns the idea of marriage and tradition, but is more interested in setting up her friends and those in society, and things obviously spiral from there. It is set in the early 19th century in merry old uh, England, beset by the Napoleonic Wars, but you wouldn't know that from reading any Jane Austen novels. And yeah, so Emma, it is in cinemas tomorrow. Louise, what do we think? 
Um, look, I thought it was not a bad film. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was delightful, I think is the word I would use. It's, um, look, it's not, it's sort of, Emma is a film that has <laughs> been done. Film. Emma is a film. There have been Look, there have been many different uh, versions of this film made And before. here is another. And here is another. <laughs> Does it need to exist? I'm not sure. Um, wow, very Look, so look, look, no, no, there are some positive things I have to say about it. Um, there is one scene in the film... Um, I won't give any spoilers. This is spoiler free. Spoil. What, what, what's spoiling it? Even though you should have read it by now. <laughs> you should have read it by now. Um, or at least seen Clueless, guys. No, yeah. Clueless. Come on. Yeah, or at least seen Clueless. not good. Can I finally talk about Clueless on the show? It's not a good adaptation. Clueless is fine. Okay. Clueless, Clueless is good. Yeah. Clueless is fine. You are a consequence of the original You're adaptation. Wrong. It's never been good. The only good thing about it was Paul Rudd. The, edit- no, the idea I of disagree. teenagers in modern America doesn't at all translate to the, the particular constraints for Emma. I thought it did. I totally I thought it did. But t- talking to this L- Emma. Louise runs a book club, I think I would concur. <laughs> yeah. Have we ever covered Emma? <laughs> uh, we haven't yet, actually. But we've covered so, Clueless. Uh, we have not covered Clueless either, which is only a film. We've covered Clueless now. Don't see it. Don't teach it in high school. No, it's great. I loved doing it's it in high Clueless, school. Anyway, Clueless is great. Anyway, 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 anyway. Okay, so this Emma, That's however, fair. what I liked about it was I never really quite understood in any of the adaptations of the films that I've seen, nor in the book itself, really, why she ends up with the man she ends up with. Um, because so he's I a won't, man. I won't say who it is, yeah, but there are many men in the book. Yeah. She ends up with one of them, and I never really quite understood why. And I felt this job did a really good job of showing that. There is a scene on the film where they dance together, and I thought it was really well done, beautifully shot. And that scene alone, I think, makes the film worth seeing. For me, that's opinion. the moment where the film started to work. Yeah. For me, I was just kind of checked out until that moment about halfway through. Yeah, and then and you then see them in that moment just the fall in love with each other. And I yeah. thought that was just such a beautifully directed scene. Um, I agree, yeah. And, you know... I love mean, is not real, guys. <laughs> uh <laughs> Okay. And uh, also, I would like to say that um, I really quite liked the costumes as well. I thought they were delicious. It was a great costume. Did you you guys, I'm guessing it's only going to be me, but did the kind of Wes Anderson-ish production design and some of the delivery of the humor just kind of add to this kind of self-satisfied, like, oh, it's delightful. Yeah, it made me think a lot of Wes Anderson. Yeah. In a way. Kind of feel like I I just... Definitely. some of the decisions of how this film has been directed just sort but of I enjoyed didn't work that. well for me. Well, I, I kind of enjoyed that kind Very of humour. I like Wes Anderson, so I, I liked I how do it too. brought out a bit of the humour of the novel Emma. It all has this kind of pastel... Yes. Production design. Yeah. It's very, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. I don't, however, think there was anything so distinct about directing on your further your earlier point that ad, that created this or rendered this distinct from any other M adaptation. What I liked in a similar vein, or I think what this, what this was going for, was the uh, Jane Austen novella adaptation for a few years back, Love and Mercy, with Kate Beckinsale, mm. where it was a relatively new story which we weren't so familiar with but had a bit of a kitschy out there vibe mm. and that i think went in more, was more committal in that regard mm. so it came out better this uh, didn't mm. i think the performances do elevate it i really like anya taylor joy mm. bill nye is 
has the ability, unlike or near anyone else, to just walk into a room and say anything and be outstandingly hilarious. Andy Taylor Joy can do that too, but she gets more a lot more dramatic material. And that dance scene, it reminded me. I loved it. It reminded me of the moment in the Pride and Prejudice BBC miniseries, yeah. still the hallmark of Austin adaptations, yeah. which was a similar action orientated dance sequence where suddenly I understood the dynamics between the characters. It wasn't just two people talking in a room. There was movement. There was kineticism, and that was a high point in the movie. There were many others for me, but I do think that this was. Uh, just a, a film. I think you said it right. It's a film. We've seen <laughs> what, it. What's the name? I, I felt the same. It, it felt very Wait, unnecessary. It's, it's, Glenn, it's charming. Did, did, did you say sure, Love and sure. Mercy? Because I think it's Love and Friendship, right? No, love and Friendship. Sorry. Love and Mercy, excuse me, is the Paul Dano film about uh, Brian, Brian Wilson. Wilson yeah. Oh, yeah, excuse yeah, yeah. me. Love and Mercy. Right. And, and I still think it has the best titles. The opening titles are the most hilarious things I've ever seen. The the thing about... Yeah, well, sorry. Great. What's the male lead's name in Johnny Flynn? In right, Johnny in Flynn. There's Callum Turner and Johnny Flynn. Is that it? Yeah, I thought. Yeah. I thought he, he's a bit he, of a rattle. He was good. He had this kind of gruffness. No, I disagree. It was a, it was a strange contrast with Anya Taylor Joy as Emma. But none of the male actors in this film had near the level of talent or charisma to match hers. And this was... A, You're just biased. You I, just love her. What? Is that's it? outrageous. It's, it's <laughs> outrageous. <laughs> you, you haven't seen the movie. Yeah, that's true. You're right. you haven't seen, like, yeah, you've but seen I know you love Anna Taylor-Joy. Wow. Okay. Wow. So <laughs> there's no performer in this film, save Bill Nye, who has the ability to measure up to her in terms of her screen presence. It's that simple. I agree. I don't like Clueless, but I agree that Alicia Silverstone was the best thing about it. Paul Rudd was great in that role, and he matched her for talent and charisma. And you know what? You cast Paul Rudd in this movie now, it probably would have been better than casting one of these two schmucks. Look. Schmucks. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> that was not schmucks, I thought their they performances were fine. Um, they were serviceable at best. They, oh my no, god. Glenn has strong feelings about this. Yeah, I, I thought they were fine. I never thought, thought for a moment, oh, how they don't match up to her. But I mean, yeah, she was particularly good, but that's what you would expect in a film called Emma, full stop. She was like, the best. She yeah. needs to be the point of the whole film. It's about her. That's why we're watching it. Yeah. Um. I feel. But I. I wonder who this is for, because it's not just people that we've who seen, really like Jane Austen, the grandmas who make up most of the art house audience. But it's not just that we've no, seen every no. people like our age as well, like that. I know, but female but I was just Jane Austen. I know, I know there are Austen fans of every demographic, but I was just watching this, imagining all the like dendy grannies with like the you know yeah, come for I the see. tea and Amazon and like the I, I like to same as Judy. Like a lot of these movies are just just made for this demographic. But here's the thing: yeah. we not only have we seen so many ostentations. I agree, it isn't as many as in the mid two thousands when it was fever pitch after the Colin Firth Jennifer L adaptation, but. We have, with Emma in particular, we have to remember, Emma was more popular than Pride and Prejudice before the BBC miniseries came out, and it is the basis for so many romances where it's a will they, won't they. A lot of it you can drill back to Emma, and you're, you're adapting here the, the cornerstone of this, one of, the, of this genre, but you're not giving anything new to it. Why? Yeah, Why? It, there's it, nothing like different about it. Just it just felt inessential. It's like Flash Gordon, uh, when Flash Gordon came out. Beyond having kind of fussy production design, that, that's, that's the only thing that's really new. Um, oh, and I will give it to jo- Josh O'Connor as Mr. Elton, the priest. He was quite funny. He's he's much. He, I like him as Prince yeah, Charles, but he was good. good in this. Yeah, I agree. Actually, yeah. so that is Emma. Yeah. If you want to see a new film of Emma, here it is. Wait, up tomorrow. It's a I, film. I would recommend any fan of Jane Austen's to see it. Or just go and or read the book. People who like Ch- no, I actually well. You don't like the book. I I like it. It's not my favorite Austen. 
Someone you have a favourite Austin? Park, of course please. I have a favourite Austin. You don't have It's been a while since we had Mansfield, like 20 years. They're all equally inconsequential. It's a harder one to adapt, though. Have you read them all? Yeah. Persuasion. I'm... Oh, yeah, actually, I get it. Yeah, again. come no, on. I'm, I'm a classicalist, Thank Pride you. and Prejudice. I remember, this is going to sound very pretentious. Pride and Prejudice is my second favourite. I, I remember with great fondness my time in Bath, sitting in the Grove in summer, oh, yeah. having just been to the Jane Austen Centre and reading my red velvet-covered copies. It was quite lovely. Yeah, you do have kind of a, like a pretentious Mr. Darcy vibe sometimes. It's called Mr. Darcy. Oh, my God. That's oh my God. so sweet. <laughs> I'm gonna go that's the a, nicest thing you've ever said to Glenn. I'm going to go jump at a fountain right now. Yep. It's okay because it's on air. I have to be nice to him. <laughs> so that is Emma. Full stop. Starring apparently someone who I'm crazy about, Anya Taylor Joy, which is in cinemas <laughs> tomorrow. And you know it, Glenn. Don't try to hide it. I can see it in your face. You're blushing. But we're on radio, Dad. Brought. And <laughs> <laughs> next bit we're talking about very different change of tack is a what did Jack do? We're doing David Lynch. Yeah. Um. We we want to cover this apparently. I'm the David Lynch. Uh, super fan here so I guess I'll introduce it David Lynch interrogates a monkey who has, uh, he's, a, he's a detective and the monkey's been accused of murder I don't have much to say about this movie it's, it's 17 it's, minutes long yeah it's yeah. 17 minutes um, a lot which of monkey is, business. is long for what it is but didn't feel super long so um, I guess that shows that it was made fairly competently I thought it was kind of amusing and then it ended that's I, it. I think that that is a fair analysis of this film. It kind of reminded me, I mean, for me, it kind of reminded me of in um, when I was like studying film at film school, we were given a project Cooler where... Cooler shove effect? Maybe. Where they, you cut to anything? Is that it? Or well, You're given, you're basically all given the same dialogue that's just oh, randomly ripped from different okay. scripts. Yeah. And then you have to take these random dialogue lines and put together a film and it reminded me of that like these sounded like because the lines are sort of disjointed they don't quite match up they're sort of random yeah lynch has done that before with rabbits which he later put in inland empire rabbits is a sitcom where rabbits are saying weirdly disconnected lines to each other in the living room yeah um i so i wonder if that's how this was put together as well yeah it's like a a dutterist technique i think of just pulling like the dutterists used to do that like make stories or plays from pulling um a bunch of phrases and words out of a hat right well yeah so that that's pretty much what they got us to do at films yeah it feels like that and (laughs) a lot of this is like lynch um in his traditional delivery saying um uh like cliched phrases and they're being interpreted literally in this context by the monkey and yeah it's kind of amusing yeah i had more fun with this because you know kind of five minutes in i started thinking about this other great detective movie that i saw called detective pikachu (laughs) (laughs) and i was thinking if these two worlds somehow coexist one of the great detective films of all time (laughs) surely (laughs) you know and i was thinking imagine if it was david lynch instead of the kid in that movie actually with with the monkey so this is exactly what i was thinking yes And I was like, you know, what if all these Pokemons somehow were in this universe and we could, you know, interrogating. So so what you're saying is you made up your own entertainment while you watched this movie. But the thing is, that's what Lynch encourages you, doesn't he? He, he doesn't kind of want, want you to, you to dream, you. but I don't know if he was th- thinking about thinking of dreaming of Detective Pikachu. But those 17 minutes seemed a lot more fun when I was thinking about it. 
It was fine. Do, I, I do we have anything to say? I thought it was fine. I don't think it was. I think honestly, I think you've all just been trolled by David Lynch. I thought so too. You've all just been trolled by David Lynch. David Lynch went to Netflix and said, "All right, I have a bet with a friend that I can make anything." And it David totally, Lynch fans it totally watch it. is so just David Lynch trolling. I agree. With a monkey. I agree. It, it totally is just trolling. I was just kind for whatever reason. Maybe it's the weird special effect on the monkey and just how cute the monkey is. Yeah. I was just vaguely entertained by it i'm not going to go the, and make any great claims the monkey was a very good performer as well i would not yeah. him but, but, he, but yeah, he was. the non sequiturs not it's not even that they were non sequiturs that didn't lead anywhere it's that they weren't engaging in and on themselves and uh, while i don't like lynch he genuinely has a very fluid shooting style I would refer to blue velvet and elephant and some of my favorite his films this was in except at the end very static shot i agree shot that it's, is boring when you're just watching two, a, a person of the monkey saying things that make no sense I and think, aren't involving i i think He's trying to create this kind of hypnotic flow where it's just this thing, phrase, and then the monkey's phrase, phrase, and then Lynch's. I think it's meant to be something that you kind of just tune out to, which is something more and more a direction to Lars moving von Trier. It's simple in. as no, that. This would have worked as a 30 second thing where the reveal was, oh, it's a monkey. End credits. Actually, the, the one thing I did like, the one thing that was just over the top ridiculous, insane, and fun was the song. Otherwise, but it no, came. I'm sorry. The song I think came too late. Way too late. In the, it in could the have been three minutes with a reveal Five. of the monkey and then the song, and that would have been fine. I would have enjoyed a three minute. I think by the, David Lynch. the overextended length was over. It's something Lynch has been playing with for a while, but I think this could have been ten minutes. It would have been fine. I agree. The yeah. whole thing was an indulgence. Well, yeah, it's just it's just Lynch messing around. We needed Laura Dern. She would have added something. Anything is better with Laura Dern. <laughs> but she was too busy making better films, like Little Women. Apparently, and apparently David Lynch wants to do a project with her with where she shaves her head like completely bald. Yeah. Did you guys see the Indie Spirit Awards? I missed oh. it. Oh, yeah. well, she, yeah. she, that was nice. The um, Gay Men's Choir gay, did a song where they talk about all the things you might not have realised were queer in um, the this year's nominees. And they just end with saying, Laura Dern, Laura Dern, for like a couple of minutes afterwards. Right. It's great. Yeah, it went viral for good reason. Um, <laughs> Laura I, Dern's I, great. Yeah. I appreciate that the Indie Spirit Awards also acknowledged um, her significance within the queer and LGBT rights movement, uh, given that after her appearance on the coming out episode of Ellen, mm. she didn't get uh, work for a prominent work for quite a while. Ten, right. years. Ten years. Yeah. She wasn't able well, to get so, work. So um, I'm glad that they acknowledged it. So we're going to be talking about the Indie Spirit Awards in a little more detail later when we talk about Uncut Gems. Oh, yeah. Yes, cool. Adam Sandler's great speech. I mean, that, was, that, was, that was the speech of the season, actually. I'll have to look it up. Shall yeah. we? Oh, you've all lost to Adam Sandler. That's who you are now. The guys who lost to Adam Sandler. He did actually say that. Shall yeah. we press on? The True History of the Kelly Gang. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The True History of the Kelly Gang, based on the novel by Peter Carey. The Booker Prize winner. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so this, but this is the adaptation of Justin Curzel, the director of Macbeth, Snowtown, and Assassin's Creed. Oh, Assassin's Creed. What a what a gem that was. <laughs> it, it was yeah. Oh, that was that was truly terrible. I wasn't a fan of Macbeth either. I, you, I'm not that big a fan of anything he's made, actually. No, neither. Not Even Snowtown. Really. I thought it was fine. I haven't seen it. It was. It's like you're either into this really grimy Australian bleak crime film subgenre, or you're not. Mm-hmm. And I, I would not count myself among the fans. But I thought that was already David Mitchell. <laughs> they're, they're the same kind of kind of place that they're coming from. I think. At least David Mitchell. It's like it's, it's like this. Funnier. It's this. Yeah. It's this subgenre. It's definitely a movement in Australian cinema. Yeah. 
So it is this, but this one is starring George Mackay, Nicholas Holt, Thompson McKenzie, also from Jojo Rabbit and other better films. Uh, Russell Leave no trace. Leave no trace. Russell Crowe, Charlie Hunnam, and Essie Davis. It is the, as they say, the not true history of the Kelly Gang, the infamous outlaw. Importantly, the. Ned Kelly was the subject of the first ever film ever made, and there have been several adaptations of his story since. And this focuses on his early life and later uh, time as a Bush Ranger. It is streaming now on Stan. Mm, the first ever feature length film. Excuse me, the first yes, ever yes. feature length film. I struggle with this because I actually took a trip through Victoria, rural Victoria, earlier this year, and I went to Glen Rowan. I've been before, and I spoke to a lot of people who um, had been sincerely involved in the film, or historians who had covered this history, and um, they made the point: we have a really strange understanding of who and what Ned Kelly is. Some people lionize him as a Robin Hood; he wasn't. Some people refer to him from the immigrant perspective. Certainly, this film goes in that direction. Others take the view that he was simply an outlaw and, quote unquote, got what he deserved. Uh, this and obviously the symbolism of Ned Kelly um, problematically and sadly has become associated in some respects in modern day with some quite extreme movements which we're not fans of and the film takes great lengths to reject those sorts of ideas and is a repost to that having said that I don't think this film gave a really clear or new idea as to who or what Ned Kelly is or how I should be acknowledged or revered certainly the film tries to drive this home and ends very frustratingly on a speech as many bad films do, which belays the moral of the story. And that was kind of emblematic to me of a lot of the problems with this. I don't think this speech was relaying the moral. Um, also, didn't Ned Kelly ever give a speech? I don't think he was a speechy a speech kind by of Ned Kelly. Yeah. Okay. I don't think the... Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say... It, I think we're meant to have a somewhat complicated relationship with the speech that ends the film. But uh, we'd need to get, get into spoiler territory for me to discuss that more so. Well, the, the other thing to remember with this film is, despite being called The True History of the Kelly Gang, it is an entirely fictionalised work by Peter Carey. Um, Although so it draws a lot from the uh, the historical record. It's it's sort of a blend. Yeah, but a lot of it, it, it he made up. Yes, like yeah. the whole thing of the, the son of Siv and all that. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah. Made up. yeah. It, cha- it changes weird historical things that, like the events surrounding the night at Glen Rowan, which are depicted in the film, they changed assembly things that I don't know why you would change at what point are you trying to make yeah um, which I was surprised I'm referring to the circumstances in which the police were able to track them down yeah I I, I wondered about that yeah. too it's writers if you're a writer you have that kind of ego you'd be like oh, you know, I'm going to do it because I can um, I, part <laughs> of it depicted uh, Kelly well, so as being more unhinged than the um, actual historical record would ne- necessarily I mean not to say that Kelly, Ned Kelly wasn't unhinged but I think they went out of their way to show him as unhinged and not thinking clearly in this version also it implies that he had a child he, he's never had a child yeah it's not a good point to make um yeah, yeah for me like the the first half of the film I, I was kind of into it but then it kind of lost me partway through i'm not sure where but it did and um it didn't really work for me i did like the song though that russell crowe I did too. Russell, as, as, as I did love Russell Crowe. <laughs> not not wanting to spoil it, but uh, Crowe was good. Yeah, yeah. I thought Crowe was did a really good performance in it. Actually, yeah. Um, but that was a highlight for me. Charlie Hunnam good. was great. Charlie Hunnam was great. Yeah. Thomas McKenzie was good. Everyone she didn't get enough to do, but yeah. neither did Charlie Hunnam, nor did Nicholas Holt. Really, all the performers are good in this. Yeah, and actually, the best George McKay was, was good. They're all good. Everyone's um, good. Yeah. Um, the best scene for me though was um, the Charlie Hunnam scene early in the film. It was one really tense sequence in a hotel room where um, I won't describe what happens, but it was very like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm on the edge of my seat here. What's going on? I agree. I had actually a lot of sympathy for Hunnam's character here. He didn't come across as, as the terrible person that the, they were painting him as necessarily. 
don't agree with you. Right. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm with Louise on this one. I don't. I, I wouldn't say he's a, a nice person, but like, was he really victimizing this family? I think. Yes. It's, I think it's heavily implied at the beginning enough that it's. It was clear enough for me that actually you're right. Yes. I retract my <laughs> statements. Good. <laughs> um, I'm a, a broad comment on this film. This is not a criticism of the film, um, nor uh, any a comment on the city theater scene itself. But this felt to me like a high budget production, one of the more high budget productions that Belvoir do in terms of its staging, particularly the end scene where yeah, the, it did feel very stagey. Yeah, the lighting, Which is weird. strobe lights. Yeah, like, it was. I, I, I wonder, watching a stage production. I wondered why they, they went with this. I didn't like it. I went, wonder why they went with this strobe light choice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I, I don't know. It didn't. Well, yeah, it didn't work for me no, at and, all. And with the figures on the hill, I mean, it's fine with the artifice of theatre where you can suspend disbelief. But in the film, it's oh, why didn't you just film people coming at you across an embankment? It feels like I'm watching a bit of a not a puppet show, but something put on. Uh, and what? Why do we need this? We, the reason we have cinema. The reason is that we can see more re- quote unquote realistic environments, and that took me out of the film. It took me out of those consequential scene, which is the Glen Rowan siege, which mm. has been lionized and debated and discussed, and which a substantial amount of the film is devoted to. I think it just wasn't that well put together. The, he's Kurtzell has tried to make it dynamic with like the the snorri cam shots on Kelly's helmet, um, and the did did it feel like he was painting the police as? Um, KKK sort of figures, the the, the white cloaks. Oh. I, I wondered if that was. I that. wondered if that was intended. It feels like I didn't c- feel that. I didn't get that from it. Right, I'm not saying it's necessarily what he was going for, but I just didn't get that. I impression. wondered if it was meant to be that. It's like we're being victimized for our race by these English coppers. Here's all these white cloaked people shooting. I don't know. Hmm, that's think, an I, interesting perspective. I hadn't considered it. I think it was definitely the immigrant angle that it was going for. Um, mm-hmm. We want to treat him as a sympathetic character, but also know that this is someone who did terrible things in the course of what he saw as justice or revenge or um, righting wrongs. Right. And I, I, I don't think he wanted to go so far as to, to draw that sort of symbolism. I'm just going off some of the other the other trajectories throughout. Yeah, the film. it was just something I sort of wondered because in actuality they're wearing black cloaks, but it, it could just be a production reason to make them stand out in the darkness so that we can follow the scene. But it is a little you you wonder when you see a line of white cloaked people with torches. You know, as mm. as the only non-white person on the panel, and, and not true. Excuse me. Ah, oh, yeah. Sorry. Well, as the only non-Australian person so far. Yeah? Uh, you're, that's you're not true. You're we're, Australian. We're, we're, not, we're not going to talk about anyone's background. Let's move okay, on. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, I didn't, basically the point is I didn't know anything about Ned Kelly. Uh, so, And this is not a good film to be introduced to his folklore you either. You didn't know anything about Ned Kelly. Oh, okay. Well, I did. But like, you know, as someone who wore a tin man. You know, He's, he was in the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> right, right, right. yeah, okay, famously. Okay, okay. So that, is, that is as far as goes. Well, no, for this me. is a completely fictionalized, made-up I know, version. Yeah, yeah. I know. About but the if book. you want to see a good film about Ned yes, Kelly, yes. I recommend Ned. I haven't seen Ned. Okay, I've <laughs> seen Ned. Wait, 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 wait. I, I, I thought oh you wanted to say something God. after that. You just said no, that Ned. Was it. There's okay, a film Ned. Ned. <laughs> no, there's a film called Ned. It's a comedy. It's very good. You know, it's a comedy. About I, Ned Kelly, but it's actually... Um, a comedy. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I, I remember liking the Heath Ledger version back in the day. I haven't seen the original, i.e. 1905 version or the Rolling or the sorry, Rolling Stones, the Mick Jagger version, which from the <laughs> 70s. But, mm-hmm. but for, this was your first introduction to the mythology of Ned Kelly. 
Well, no, I I knew of him, but like peripherally. That's it. The only thing I knew was like he was an outlaw and he, you know, wore a tin mask and yeah, got shot. That's all I knew. These three things and that's it. Interesting fact. So about the yeah, you should say the Chris Lilly version called Ned. Oh yeah, it's um, very good. Chris Lilly. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> and I recommend it. <laughs> okay, so Jumay, Jumay. Um, <laughs> I felt like the transition between his reluctance to kill or be the murderer his mum wants him to be uh, through to being actually a completely brutal savage person was not that well handled I did. I think it, it still kind of happened a little bit too quickly even with all of the time spent on the build up to, because he goes to a pretty crazy length by the end right? I actually thought it was weird the yeah the interaction between him and his mum yeah, it, it was strange. Which again, not wanting to spoil anything, that yeah. I I don't know why they made that choice. I don't know. Maybe it's in the book, but um, yeah, yeah. I, um, I agree. There's a nuance <laughs> that could have been applied with more depth or a lengthier storytelling, but I feel they wanted to portray him both as an intelligent person, but a victim of manipulation and circumstance. And there is a way you can do both, but all too quickly, it's suddenly you're supposed to believe that this person, um, due to all these reasons, becomes this, but then still has the capability and intelligence and wherewithal amidst all this emotional intellectual upheaval and else mm. to pull all this off and the film doesn't quite sell it um in the way that i feel um the uh, it's not an exact comparison but the irishman shows a tragic figure in different circumstances but shows their trajectory and thought process over a long time and we get to as long as long as it is, yes it's three half hours long but we understand frank's psyche i wish we got a similar insight to ned kelly here yeah, um, I think it kind of actually skirted over the bush ranging period. Um, there wasn't that much of that shown here, and I wonder if that's partly so as not to complicate audience identification with this guy, because, um, yeah, you know, you wonder when it's like, oh, the the one part we'll skip over is the whole killing innocence bit. It's shown, but not, there's not that much screen time. Ned Kelly did that a lot. Yeah, um, interesting fact about sure, uh, but sort of the English to the Irish. That's true. It's absolutely true. <laughs> that's true, but when you know. One doesn't and justify the other. The British are portrayed as bad as people. Yes, yeah. I think. Ma- sorry, what were you saying? And the indigenous people before them, as the mum makes as, the point. Yes. Um, oh. If you want a better film with deals with these issues, go watch Nightingale. It was yes, it was yes, and it was a, a much better directed film. This film, oh, God, yes. they're, they're both covering this really bleak, hard, you know, to watch kind of territory, but this one f- felt less fresh to me. It felt a little bit cliched, and the result is the kind of drudgy you know that's hard to get through i don't think it's a bad film um i think it, it's well performed enough yeah that, i agree um it, you yeah it, it's decent it's better than the animatronic showing glenn rowan that's now showing the history of ned kelly right. um, fun fact uh well, not fun fact but the they never rebuilt the hotel in the town there's a hotel opposite but the land of the glen rowan hotel is just a it's just the field now just a piece of grass hmm. um, we always have trouble reckoning we, we always had a strange relationship with this area of history and uh, this envelops on it in some detail, and it is now streaming on Stan. The last film we are talking about this week is one of the most anticipated, our most anticipated of the year, and certainly our most anticipated of the show, Uncut Gems, the new film from the Safdie brothers uh, who directed Good Time a couple of years back, a film we are and remain big fans of. It is starring Adam Sandler as Howard, Kevin Garnett, the real-life basketball player, Adina Menzel, Julia Fox in her debut role. You'll be seeing a lot more of her and Lakeith Stanfield. It is about Howard, a gem dealer in New York, who 
who comes across the deal of a lifetime when he finally gets his hands on a very expensive, very valuable uncut gem, and he wants to offload this and make a packet of money, and it's about the events that transpire in the coming period and some very tense encounters herein. I said earlier, this is possibly my favorite film of the year so far. Mm. Uh, the anticipation and wait was well worth it. What did we think of Uncut Gems? I think tension is an understatement. Tense is an understatement. This was the most stressful film to watch. It was fantastic, but stressful as anything. Uh, I think the score helped with that a lot too, which was just great for, for kicking Brilliant up. Brilliant score, yeah. yeah. No Oscar nomination. I know, again, crazy. Like, this film should have had several Oscar nominations. It was too good to get nominated Do not for be Oscars. nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And I say yeah. that in the Parasite. I, I, I agree. That's, I thought the screenplay was brilliant. And I, yeah, I think the reason why um, is that it's lacking the kind of positive, reassuring elements that the Academy like in their films. The Academy tend to like sad films. Yeah, but, yeah. but this film is so about bad people for the most part. Um, or, or it's driven by a Irredeemable character who evil. is a bad... You know, we can grow to like him in the way you can like a great noir protagonist, but who maybe does bad things, but you still hope they get, make it through. I think you could argue the same thing about Parasite. You could argue the same thing about Parasite, but Parasite gives you, um, I think, more hope. audience... Ple- gives you more hope. And uplift. And also, an uplift, and also gives you oh, more... I, I think Parasite has more audience pleasing moments like oh the family's together now or and also, okay, like, it, right. it has yeah, yeah. Clear, it's a clear rich versus poor thing which Just you can yeah. automatically yeah. sort of like this is a rich versus poor thing too but in a much more well, buried kind of yeah. way some you know yeah it metaphorical yeah, it's, it's definitely yeah. got some things to say about class as well as yeah a lot of this year's um hollywood films do yeah, yeah. there's also probably my favorite uh, turning to the actors, my favorite Adam Sandler performance to date. Um, Kevin Garnett, the basketball player, is great in this. Um, he's a little bit stolty, but he's. I thought he was great. great. I he, thought uh, Kevin Garnett was amazing. I thought he was really good too. Dramatic performance. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly didn't even know he was um, a real basketball player right. before. He's like, he's like yeah. six foot six. It, how, what do we think? Yeah, yeah. How it uses real life celebrities. Like we've also got yeah. the weekend. Yes, exactly. The real weekend. Um, we, that we, we, that we, I knew, we, and I was like, wow. Yeah, because re- that was fantastic. I remember in 2012 hearing buzz about him before he'd broken out as a big pop star. Yeah, yeah, and they've captured that moment. It's fantastic. It's it's, it's interesting. Yeah. You should note that it is filmed in and around New York to the extent that they didn't get permits for places and they had to basically put a bunch of people around the actors and directors and cinematographers and just so people wouldn't rock up and say, oh, that's Adam Sandler, let's get a photo. So it looked like they were filming in a genuine actor environment. It shows, it feels like, I've spent a lot of time in New York, it feels like you're on the streets there. Uh, The actors feel real, the contributions feel real. It's an unconventional film because it goes for, for the most part, sustained intensity through the whole thing. Because we're looking at a character who's got so much danger surrounding him and he tries to u- bluster his way through everything. He was just addicted to making terrible decisions. He was addicted to living on that <laughs> knife's That's edge. That's actually my one criticism of the film. We'll have to get to that later. But the characterization, I genuinely liked. It kept it. It was very tension-inducing. I think there were moments where the tension let up. I think Good Time is a more tightly plot. I still prefer Uncut Gems, but Good Time was more tightly plot to that extent where you don't feel there was a moment where you could breathe and maybe yes uncut gems didn't need those moments because there were just moments particularly this is a longer film as well oh oh my god i can't believe that happened i can't believe you did that and maybe you needed that reprieve the thing the thing is he is an extreme character and he makes choices that would be completely ridiculous to you or i but i believed it in the context of this film i think i definitely believed it yeah Yeah. Uh, on that uh, because i was thinking about that and i was like you know 
is it something in the script or is it something in Adam Sandler's performance? But actually, it is Sandler himself. And I think the Safdie brothers have been trying to cast him since 2009 yeah. when they originally yeah. had conceived this movie. And I can see why, because it's only when you see Sandler, who's so crazy in his sort of comedic avatar, mm. that you can believe that he can make these bad choices in movies. Maybe Nicolas Cage well, is he the trans- only other alternative. Sandler, in a much more believable way than Nicolas Cage has yeah. been lately, yeah. um, translates that kind of madness of his comic persona to this guy where he's always, you know, he's he's yelling in excitement yeah. or he's sort of crying and banging his head against things. Like he, he is... Because you can't separate Adam Sandler from... Even though this is actually a great character performance, but it's still Adam Sandler. I, like, you know, I was able to stop thinking about the he's comic a, persona. He's a cool performer. Yeah. He, is, he yeah. has been in all his comedies, and, and this really shows in this film as well. Because he only does like one dramatic performance every 10 years. So, like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he's, he's done, done a he's couple done a few of lately, recent times, yeah. A few he, but yeah, I think he made the character yeah. believable. Um, the, like, the guy is scummy, and you might think, why does he have people like Julia Fox, who who is so devoted to him and so loving around him? But you can see that he has this kind of magnetism, he has this charisma that he could convince people to keep giving him another chance, which is how he's able to get himself right. in these and dangerous this, situations and, in the first place. Or to make this, terrible movies and, and star in them. Right. <laughs> and this is my right. Oh, yeah, he said that if he right. doesn't do well, he'll make more terrible films. But this is my problem with it. And just on the matter of Julia Fox, she's outstanding in it. Every she scene, um, she has a re- amazing future ahead of her as a performer. One thing that did get me about this is that he makes a lot of terrible decisions. Yes, I believe that he could make all these decisions, and in the beginning, I found myself rooting for this character because I came invested in his story. But for the reason that when, it's not so much him continue to make terrible decisions, is that when he is offered opportunities or chances to get to change something, or get out, he makes the bad decision, and that makes him immediately muscle, much sympathetic. As soon as he became less sympathetic, and more, this is more in the second half, I found it much harder to cheer for him, much harder to get behind him. This is a problem. It didn't detract greatly from the film. I still enjoyed it, but it took away from what is. I love the second half, but it wasn't on the level of involvement on the first half for that reason. So I but do disagree. You need to get behind. Yeah, your protagonist? yeah. I, I think, think that's important. You do. I don't think you do. There's two. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, okay. <laughs> I think uh, there's a car crash kind of quality to it, where there's an enjoyment. In watching in him keep making wreck, the yeah. yeah, you're seeing a train wreck. You, you, he, you can't look away as he keeps making these terrible decisions. So I think there's entertainment value in that. So it, to some extent, it, it just did not matter that um, he was starting to make those bad decisions. But and for me, Glenn I think like, like I think there's just the intensity of the filmmaking meant that I stayed with it um, even as he was making those terrible decisions. And I, it got me into his head a little bit. Where even as I was yeah. thinking, man. This guy is so stupid. Like, I wouldn't do I it, still but I can see why was he on would. edge and wanting yeah. to see him still made the come out on top, hopefully. Less. I, I disagree. Can't, I can't get into disagree. spoilers, disagree. but made the ending no, I disagree. I, I, I disagree as well, because, like, I, I mean, he was making bad decisions. That was the only thing that made that I would never sense. make from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. That was the from only thing that made sense. From his very first thing that he does. But it's right to make one stupid decision or so many, but when it just becomes, it compounds, it compounds itself. And it's not just that he made stupid decisions. It's that he was offered opportunities to extricate yeah. himself, that, but that, didn't. But that was That's the what crux. the film's really about, I think. It's but about someone who doesn't value it, um, the same things as us. He just values being in that margin position where everything could collapse or he could come out on top at any moment. It's it, an interesting thing because uh, those decisions that the character makes, it's actually the the 
screenplay is interesting like that because it feels like a compressed spring mm, where you yeah, kind of keep kind of like each action is compressing the spring and like in the end is the release and yeah. the only time you let go and you're like finally yeah thank I, god I agree thank god I it ended felt that. because it kind of felt like I don't know how many bad decisions this guy could have made otherwise because I just could not deal with this it <laughs> The screenplay is incredible because there's a lot of um, setup and payoff and many different balls in the air that are being juggled, but it still manages to maintain this intensity. I feel very claustrophobic. Like, you know, it has a claustrophobic quality to it. Absolutely, I agree. How brilliant is this scene? I don't think it managed to maintain the intensity. As I said before, there are periods of absolute reprieve where you stop and think, okay, going along is normal. Again, I do feel. Again, 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 I do feel that this may be for the simple reason that in this sort of film, in a longer period piece, you need opportunity to breathe. But there were stretches of intensity inducing, oh my God, what is going on? And there are times when it was more of a relaxed kilter. I appreciate this was in a longer film. If it was 80 minutes, I would have just liked not ongoing, non stop. Non-stop, but it didn't mind. But it's much. also to flesh out the character because I think a lot of the, the moments you're talking about that are like reprieve are times when he maybe spends some time with his family or spend some time with his mistress and he's but know, even there he's made terrible choices and I know yes even there he so makes terrible anxious choices anxious in every one of those scenes like I've got a Fitbit and my heart rate was going <laughs> up so high while watching this film that it's but like thing, you're it, at it, fat burning level because it's, not, it's, it's <laughs> not just like actual physical danger it's also like this guy is just not got one thing right yeah, yeah. yeah. it feels like yeah. my favorite scene in Everything the movie it's just... one of the more quiet sequences it's a pace succeder where they're with yeah. the family also a great twist in the sequence which you won't reveal um but it's just it's a very authentic moment where they're running around they're looking for the other coman and he's having this intense conversation with his wife Medina menzel there's an amazing retort in it of mm. all my lines in the film where she just you know slaps she, she hits him for yeah, sex yeah, yeah. it's incredible yeah, it, it really feels good. so lived in the family aspect of it, the the jewelry the jewelry store, and the yeah. depiction of that world. Um, well, the Safety Brothers feels re- I know in that world. I know, I know. Yes, um, but it feels real, and it, it's a film I enjoy watching because it feels like I'm being shown something real. I think maybe yeah. the the casting of the celebrities is to add to that feeling of this is the real world. And they created those Furby blings, especially for this film. They're so, they did not exist handle. before now. They're yeah. so funny. The Furby <laughs> blings. So great. It's so, so great, great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this character is so interesting to me um, because I think that, that his character, his decisions, as you say, are so stupid and so consistent that it gets you to start questioning what's really driving this person. And for me, um, this might be a bit of a strange reaction, but for me, it was such an extreme character and such an extreme t- trajectory that it got me to sort of have thoughts like what is the meaning of life so you know like mm. like what is it all for that all of these um Absolutely obstacles nothing. right all these obstacles and um all of this struggle and what is it really for like he's trying to prove himself i think on that i really appreciated uh, not the- just the sports metaphor but the analogy that this film draws between cinema itself, plotting, aspiration, and sports play. Uh, you see it like in a yeah. very broad sense narrated in a lot of movies. But here, it's done very well. Here, it's the prism of basketball. And particularly as one basketball sequence plays out, I'm not a big basketball fan, but I don't think ever in my life have I seen a basketball film where I've been so engaged in a game. It got such a because of what the, cons- the, the stakes for the characters, but it being very clearly enunciated how basketball measures in the mind for someone who may have a similar passion for the sport as I do for, say, film. 
Penny? Yeah, Penny. well, I, I really like basketball and I felt that the film itself really encapsulated that feeling of being excited as a game, as, as you were sort of saying. Right. Particularly uh, a close game. Look. Pinning <laughs> everything on basketball or pinning an- anything or any on, a, on a gem, it's all these kind of yeah. just meaningless symbols. Yeah. But it, I think for this character, it's all sort of or started to become award. like... I put I put all my hope in this thing and it's going to prove that I'm great. It's going to justify everything that's gone wrong previously. But it's not just that because the use of basketball as a sport is also important because it's not just basketball. I mean, the way the sport plays into the metaphor of the film and the actual screenplay. Because you know, Louise would know, being a basketball fan, there's a shot clock, right? Yeah. So we have to basically make your shot in 25 seconds. So there's already that kind of time-bound pressure mm. in the game. And then the screenplay is set up like that, where you yeah. kind of feel like you're running out of time all the time. Yeah. So you have that tension within the screenplay. You have the tension in the sport. So anyway, that's just a yeah, nerdy, nerdy basketball was, tidbit, which great. is why I think they chose that sport as opposed to some other sport they could have chosen. Oh, mm. well, actually... Oh, yeah, like football would not have worked. No, yeah. <laughs> no I, 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 Like I American football, I mean. Well, this turns to another dimension of the film, and uh, it comes to that lo- great line, what is it with you Jews in basketball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is another actually, dimension... I, we haven't talked about this. This is yeah. a really funny film. Yeah, yeah, this, it, is. yeah it, it is. It is really funny. funny. It's hilarious. But this is the other dimension of it. It deals with a lot of cultural groups within New York. Yeah. It deals with the Jewish community, with the African-American community. But again, it's a very authentic, lived-in experience. Um, there's a lot of what could be perceived as negative language used, but it's used in a very positive sense. Um, there, Again, this is a film about a Jewish gem dealer in New York. They could have gone for any number of lazy stereotypes, but they don't. And so they talk about the idiosyncrasies of the community, whether it be, again, the Pesach Seder or talking about, quote-unquote, Jews of basketball, which is weird. My American Jewish New York family seems to love basketball. I don't know if I get it. <laughs> right. um, and on the use of language, it's very, very intricate in the movie. There's, there's a great moment where um, Howard says, it's all copacetic, uh, which is a New York term meaning everything, it's okay, everything's all right. But the way he soundless says it, and it was very clearly intended, it sounds like he's almost saying the Hebrew term kolpacetta, which also means everything's okay. So he's drawing, and it's the right. well, term kolpacetic, it's not just used by the American Jewish community, it's used in the American, African-American community, particularly around New York. So he's drawing analogies between these communities throughout. It's really great. It's really interesting. When you were saying it before that it's really funny, it is, but it's also kind of, it's also tragic, but it hits that level, especially towards the end, where it's simultaneously tragic and funny, and funny because it's you so know, tragic. When you, when you start yeah. laughing and you suddenly Ooh. start crying because you realize that you were laughing at something which you should be crying about. It, it was kind of like yeah. that. I was getting that <laughs> feeling towards the end. And it doesn't, and even though the character's so tragic, it is so funny and so sprightly and fast-moving and intense yeah. that it's entertaining as opposed to wallowing in the tragedy yeah, yeah, of this no, guy's bad decisions. He's not, he's, not, he's not pathetic. He's not wallowing in anything. There's no I, I mean, he, I think he, he is pathetic. pathetic. He is pathetic, but... No, no, but he doesn't more, see himself as pathetic, no, no, and I think the film tries to take you. Yeah, yeah he's I more agree. absurd than pathetic. Pathetic would be like you know feeling sorry for yourself to that point, you know, or at least you know, a bit of a buffoon. But I don't think he is. I think he he has such a high opinion of himself, or always believes that he's able to There's show a, people how great he thinks he is. Yeah, the that he doesn't kind of like cancels it out. Spend much time wallowing in the tragedy. He's always looking forward to the next, the next step, high. and he's constant. Yeah, and he's constantly living in the moment. Um, I really liked the filmmaking. I really liked the sustained intensity of it, um, the, the mix of like the handheld cameras and the surveillance like um, feeling, which I think adds to the claustrophobia with these zooms and like actual surveillance cameras and far off shots. It, it, yeah, it feels like there's all, there could always be people yeah. around there coming closing in. Um, it actually the way it's shot uh, and staged reminded me a bit of a Michael Mann movie. 
you know he also likes these really intense macho characters yeah. um it has that yeah. you know the sense of like we're always in the moment something's happening oh, the muscle oh, no. characters are thoroughly true. even they had their own sense of humor there's just an awkward there's also an awkward humor to how some of the more tense sequences of the stage including a great one where a bag has to be passed between two locations and really well just, staged oh oh this is and again that led itself to its own just tension inducing awkwardness no there's very little i mean my criticisms of it uh were minor and not insubstantial i really adore this film it's it, it will probably make my top favorite films of the list for 2020 i think it easily will for me but i think also this film's going to have a long shelf life because it feels really unique um, I think it's something that is is yeah. going to stick around. I hope more um, people talk about it because I, you know, I think the parasite. Yeah, sort of. It's very contemporary in yeah. its themes, and um, but if you could compare it to other movies in some regard, but as its own, it, it feels really like a really strong yeah. new vision. It's fresh. It's new. It's different. Yeah. and the way it's set up. I mean, the setup is is the thing. You know, it's like the screenplay. It's what really makes it work. Yeah, th- actually, speaking of the setup, the opening scene. It gives it's it's doesn't take place in the traditional setting of the film. Uh, far yeah, from it, 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 it wasn't it, necessary. Right? I, 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 I think if, it was. If it the budget the was film, cut, you was you could cut that. You but cut it, it adds it something gives, for sure. It gives it a sense of grandeur. It gives it a sense of that this kind of story isn't just um, situated in this one locality of New York. It gives it a broader sense of universalism, and it adds to the economic yes. a- aspect of the film. I agree, and particularly when you see, you know, a worker get hurt in the, you know, the first few seconds of the film. Um, <clears throat> I think that that really adds to it as well. You remember, hey, this is actually coming from somewhere. Other people are affected by these actions, not just right. Sandler and you know people in New York. And the suffering of these workers just underpins um, us putting a value on this thing, so that mm. people can think, oh, it's great, I have this stone. When it, it's amazing, but it's so meaningless. Yeah. And not thinking about, yeah, all the people that's affected or where it's come from. Yeah, that that little scene was a much better way of, I think, bringing out the point that us spent an entire feature length drawing out. You know, that like behind your happiness, there's somebody who's suffered for it. Criticizing us? I am. <gasps> I know, that'll, that'll send some no, shockwaves. I loved it, it, that film. It reminded me of the scene at the beginning of Lord of War where you follow the one bullet being produced and right. from very beginning to where it is ultimately deployed. It also, I think, uh, added a kind of mystical element um, that the film deals with a little bit regarding the stone. Like it has this significance yeah. to the to the Ethiopian Jews, and now it um, Kevin Garnett think it has some some significance to his game. And Adam Sandler is attaching all this um, significance to it to help sort out his life. But maybe it's this cursed object yeah, when I we mean, see I mean, misery and injury coming from it right some, from the start. Something, something about stones. Even in Parasite, mm. we had that rock, which has yeah. so much significance, That's apparently, so and true. which comes back to... It's an economic uh, symbol. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. they didn't feel the need to underline that. You know, this is cursed. This will bring you... It's, mm. Yeah, no, that would have been... Yeah. No, the film knows to be subtle when it should be. Yeah. yeah. When it has to be, yeah. I mean, the film's called Uncut Gems. It can't be much more clear in, in the joke it's making. But, like, what... Um, it's a double and, and you, know what double you know what's entendre, great right? just have a film about a MacGuffin which isn't overly dependent on the MacGuffin like yes it is a central part of it but it plays second fiddle a lot of the time to the machinations that are going on in San- sorry, in Ratner's family or at his business or other the film's working on a lot of levels at once it's not just the J.J. Abrams MacGuffin yeah. everything's centred on imagine if the, the whole thing was like I have to chase this this stone imagine if it was just a chase oh movie where God. he was trying to imagine find the stone imagine the whole movie That's was after Kevin Gunn one individual yeah, yeah. it could have easily been that oh that would have been bad. that was Aquaman by the way 
There would have been. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, come on. I didn't see it either. No. So that is. It's look. It's great. Go see it. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's on you Netflix. have Netflix, don't you? Just wait, watch wait. It. Put Uncut Gems on the list. Oh yeah, Uncut Gems. I was like, are you guys recommending Aquaman? What are you doing? No. <laughs> <laughs> there's, trying to think, there's, there's so many scenes. There isn't a scene in the film I didn't like. I, I just there are so many that just jump out as a favorite. And I adored. Oh, the just the opening sequence where we're just jumping around the jewelry store and getting to know each of the characters mm. and, and, and and it's a perfect screenwriting setup because each everyone's motivation is very clearly set up it's a it's, it's something they'll teach in screenwriting classes for sure it I should mean, be and it's a real shame that it missed out on I, an oscar nod I, oh it, it deserved so many academy award nominations i think I agree. um i also think it it gives us a different view of new york to what we normally get in film Oh yeah, it, it's a lot more street, but street not, level. Not, not even the Bronx kind of thing, which usually we get to see. Yeah, it's, it's, it's claustrophobic. It's, it's claustrophobic, non-glamorous. Yeah, yeah, but while dealing with the diamond street, yeah. the diamond district, yeah, and the world and auctions, you know, it's really an insider view. I appreciate oh, that. The auction scene was so good because it was the there's always tension in the auction scene but it was the inverse of how yeah. it typically runs <laughs> so really really good like I, I hadn't seen and i was genuinely not sure how it would end yeah because of the trajectory and how the film we've been playing out for retina so far so i loved it one of the better um articulations of an auction sequence you know who i was missing in this movie i really wish philip seymour hoffman was alive because i was just like he would be he would fit in this he film would for sure. be just like oh my god you, you, you know who he would be? be he would be the older character one it could character be anyone at the really end. maybe yeah i think yeah. um so that was uncut gems it's on netflix now the true history of the killer gang is on stan what did jack do is on netflix emma period is in cinemas tomorrow and the oscars are on youtube if you care they're to over they're done stop talking about them yeah um no they're great parasite one parasite one oh, yeah. so, so next week i'm with right i'm just not feeling the excitement it's no, like yeah cool so it's, wow it's cool parasite one okay yeah no no I'm, I'm happy i mean it's better than but it's still the joker Oscars. winning <laughs> it was yeah. gonna be 1917 no 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 if joker parasite. won i would probably like not be seen in public <laughs> for at least two weeks because i live in a society can you imagine like, it, it's <laughs> nice that all these indie cinemas can now be like we're screening parasite for another couple of weeks as opposed yeah. to hey joker we can do a special run of the new but it was best never going to be winner. joker i'm with louise it was going to be 1917 yeah, it's always going to be 1917 or parasite no, yeah. no but the thing and is mad man look at their timing the they they have released a black and white version of Parasite to make yeah, yes. good time out. The raking, thing, raking more money. The thing mm-hmm. about um, the 1917 versus Parasite thing is 1917 is just a... Um, Probably not a movie people a were gimmick as passionate in search about of a movie. as much yeah, as Parasite. I, I think that's true. I think Parasite got people talking, but 1917 is more familiar. It just has a lot of passion behind it. Yeah. Um, that I think. A that's lot what of I mean. My yeah. my my dad saw Parasite, and he doesn't see anything with subtitles i think parasite yeah. cut through just yeah. because the social divide and social class coinage movie just is universal and yeah. nailed at a time but, and i think it just felt really divide. fresh yes. it just felt really fresh well, actually because while other. being audience pleasing in terms of being a really tight thriller a comedy yeah. that becomes a thriller but yeah. is I mean, intricately plotted yeah this is what my dad said he, and he just hates subtitles so you know probably the target audience for this kind of thing and he's like i didn't need to read any i could follow along the images and that was yeah. enough because he's yeah he's such a great subs. you're right that that has yeah. helped it translate because he's like, such an incredible visual right, storyteller right. you know it's mm. like you know i didn't need to read any i didn't need to know to follow the film i just 
didn't need to read the subs, yeah. and that was okay. You know, yeah. and, and whoever does the clips for the Oscar shows, please stop putting spoilers because no, they, they always do. Spoilers for Once yeah. Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah I noticed that. There, there were spoilers for Why? There were spoilers for Marriage Story. Like yeah, the, the very end scene is one of the yeah, one of the which clips. is I think the most touching part of the film is is one of yeah, the clips. They, they spoiled a lot. They spoiled a lot. Yeah, what? I agree. I don't know why they they always do that. Always oh, bad. Right. Everyone in that room has seen the screeners, haven't they? You maybe. Yeah. I bet some there are people in there well, who haven't no, watched bet, all yeah, the best picture nominees. Not everyone is like Edgar Wright who actually goes through and sees everything. Well, I, you should if I, you're voting. I try to Come see on. everything and I don't movies. vote. Um, but. Yeah, eight. There were eight nominees. Nine. Right? nine. Nine. Go watch Come on, nine like, movies. No, 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 nine for best picture. But then, if you count all the other ones, then there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, it's only about 154. But you work in the industry, and if you want hmm? to vote, then only 154. Movies yeah, that's right. Been, it's yeah. it's quite Tom a lot. And and day. also, it was a shorter Oscar yeah. season yeah. as so well we. than usual because normally it would be a couple of weeks time from now which they've said they're not going to shorten it next time because a lot of people were upset about that so and no i think it was the right length yeah, i was it's very happy normally around my birthday mm. which is 17th of february i really happy birthday yeah so like yeah it'd normally be a week or two later so Louise's birthday is next week, but <laughs> also next week we're chatting with Felix Hubble from Static Vision and the Hyperlinks Festival, which again is happening at Pink Flamingo Cinemas in Marrickville from 19th to 21st of February. It's a fantastic festival. Australia is having their inaugural run at the Ritz next weekend uh, through into March. Previously, there were Paris Cinema Fest in Melbourne, but now they're in Melbourne and Sydney. We'll be back next week. Uh, let us know what you want us to fight about. Louise, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And we will be back. Have a wonderful night, morning, wherever you're listening. Enjoy movies. Watch Uncut Gems. It's great. Bye. Bye.